Agent Power Huddle is a daily jumpstart. Hey, did I get your attention? We're doing something special for the next month. We're going to focus on now business. Like how do you generate income today, right now? My name is Jesse Zagorski. You probably know me as one of the regular hosts here, producer of the Agent Power Huddle. I'm also a broker associate with eXp. And what I keep hearing over and over again is agents that truly need to shift their business. The market shifted, they need to shift and they got to close the deals today. And so whether you're a brand new agent this series is for you. Experienced agent, this series is for you. It doesn't matter. Agent on a team, team leader, we're going to give you strategies and techniques to figure out how to scale and grow your business to close deals today. Not in the future, not tomorrow, today. This is what we're focusing on all month, the techniques, the strategies you need. So welcome to the Agent Power Huddle. Boom. I love that intro. Good morning, everyone, and happy New Year's Eve, Eve, I think. Maybe there's three Eves. Anyway. Uh, welcome to the Agent Power Huddle. Today, we are talking about getting offers accepted in 2023. So as Jesse just indicated, we spent the last couple of months generating now business. Now we're going to talk about how you convert that business into closed escrows. And I like to call it writing winning offers. So let me share my screen and we will dive right in. Who likes Hussein Bolt, huh? So that's going to be you this year. We're going to get buyers in escrow. And this is how we're going to do it. Now, I think the few things you want to keep in mind, uh, we're going to talk about the market as part of this, right? Because how the market is behaving is going to impact how you write your offers and, and some of the steps that you take in order to secure a victory. We're going to talk about lending tools that are at your disposal that you can use to win. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the top 12 things you can do in a contract to make your contract more attractive without increasing the risk to your buyer. So that's going to be uh, some of the takeaways that you guys will get out of this little session we're going to have. So let's talk about the market, right? So what do we know right now that the market is doing? Because the better you can communicate what the market is doing to your clients, the more that they will trust you, right? We on my team, we're always trying to demonstrate character and competence and an understanding of the market is a huge step towards competence, right? So an even better step is to be able to help people understand where the market is going. So for example, uh, right now you might have some people waiting for, for lower rates. Okay. Well, that's, that's probably going to happen. In fact, I'll get into some of the reasons why we are certain that it's going to happen. But uh, homes also are still rising, right? So we need to make sure that they understand what the future holds. And we're going to talk a little bit about what my opinion is of that. And then you can have your own crystal ball, right? So where's the market right now? Rates are higher than they've been. And inventory is still low. I'm here in the Seattle market. We have under two months of inventory in King County, which is the county I'm sitting in. It's going up, but it's only going up sort of infinitesimally. It's going from 1.76 months of inventory to 1.82 months of inventory. And as you know, hopefully, the definition of a balanced market or the tipping point at which point a, a seller's market becomes a buyer's market is six months. So we're well below that threshold, right? Can you win in a market like this? 
Of course, right? Is is the best thing to get right now sellers? No, actually, the market is behaving like a buyer's market, right? Which is really a curious phenomenon. You're in a clearly defined seller's market, but because of interest rates, because of buyer apprehension, which then equates to seller uh, fear, it's behaving like a buyer's market. So you absolutely can win in this market. Do you think a buyer who says, I'm going to wait to buy until rates go down is making a good decision? I would argue no. No, because there's a saying in the mortgage industry, you guys have probably heard it of late, you marry the house, but date the rate. Well, what they mean by that is you can refi, right? So if I took six and a half percent to buy my house, but then could refi a year from now, what happened to the value of that home in that year, right? It's gone up, but your clients might think it's going to go down. And, and it would be understandable, right? We get fed daily in the news that prices have gone down from last month to this, but we don't measure appreciation month to month. We measure it year over year. And where I'm sitting, homes are up 7.83% from November of 21 to November of 22. That's the number you need to be able to communicate and educate your client with, right? Now that number has been going down, but gosh, it was 20%. For two years, we had 20% annual appreciation. That's not healthy. None of us should want that. Even if we own homes, having 20% appreciation is unsustainable, right? So we want something closer to historical norms, which is eight to 10% for single family dwellings. Six to nine percent for condos. So we're right in the sweet spot at 7.83. So understand your market and know what the year-over-year -year appreciation numbers are, because that's your biggest defense when you're talking to a buyer who says, I, I want to wait. Right? I mean it's logical for, for a consumer, an uninformed consumer, to think, well, if I wait, I'm going to get it for a cheaper price and a better rate but there's one flaw in their assumption or their formula, which is the cheaper price part of it, right? So that's that's our appreciation. So figure out what yours is so that you can have these conversations, right? What do you think is coming next? Where do you think rates are gonna go? Right? So- well, if it's a recession, shouldn't they start coming up anytime soon? coming down yeah, yeah yeah i mean like leveling yeah. out totally sorry yeah way. Thank, thank you g you're uh, you are exactly right and here's a statistic that a lot of people don't know we in our nation's history have never had a recession where rates did not go down and when you say that sentence to a consumer a you're teaching them b you're demonstrating competence right and C, you're giving them encouragement that rates will get better than they are today, which is a wonderful segue into 
So buy what you can afford now and then refi. Now, we could have a, a debate about when rates will go down, right? So one thing I want everyone to take away from this training is rates are going to go up before they go down. Like this, this recession is going to cause rates to go down. But the first thing they got to do is get inflation under control. And that's why the Fed has been raising rates at historical speeds. You know, uh, you guys have all heard that the Fed raised rates four times by 75 basis points each and then 50 more basis points this month. We're in December right now of 2022. The last time they did even one 75 basis point increase was 1994. Think about that, right? 28 years of between 75 basis point increase. And then they did four of them in like 16 months. So they're aggressively trying to catch up and fix inflation. And they have to because they did too little for too long. But but don't you sound intelligent when you're talking to a consumer who's really got no clue about interest rates. All they know is what the news is telling them. And that that is that the Fed just raised rates 50 more basis points. And they even think that means mortgage rates are going up 50 basis points. The fact of the matter is the, the Fed doesn't touch mortgage rates, but the mortgage rates will move. And, and with that 50 basis point increase, do you know what rates did after the Fed did that? They actually went down. We had one day uh, two and a half weeks ago where rates went down 91 basis points. That's why we went from seven plus down to the low sixes where we are now. So understand what the, the influences are, what the dynamics are, and be able to communicate them in an intelligent and succinct way will help your clients feel better about, huh, maybe I should keep looking instead of sitting back on the sidelines thinking I'm going to get this better deal that they're just not going to get. What's going to happen to inventory over the coming months? Well, it's going to go up. Will it get to six months? I don't think so. I highly doubt it. I don't even think it'll get to four, but it'll get probably above three, which will still be a seller's market. So think about that sort of uh, intersection of things. If rates start coming down at the end of 2023 and inventory has gone up, that's going to bring buyers back to the market and that's going to create another like surge of transactions because the inventory will be there. And, and the buyer's mind, the psychology of this works to your favor, which is, yeah, they have to grieve the fact that they're not getting two and a half or 3% interest, which they could have a year ago. But now they've got seven in the rearview mirror and, and six is better than that. So they're, they're actually, their brain is releasing endorphins because they're encouraged that rates have gone down. So the good news is that we had a spike in interest rates in between the low interest rates of last year or earlier this year, right? So just keep that in mind and keep encouraging your client, right? 
buy something you can afford today and refi it later is a really powerful statement. Because it not only does it remind them that they could do something now, but it, it tells them that you're not trying to stick them into something they can't afford, right? And so if we have this increased inventory and reduced rates, can you see a scenario where bidding wars happen? I don't think it's going to be, you know, 100% of listings get 200 grand over asking like it felt like earlier this year. But I can see an increase in multiple offers. Right? Because buyers have become desensitized to multiple offers. They're okay with that now. They prefer to avoid it, but it doesn't scare them, right? So they'll jump into a competition if they think they've got a chance. So we all have to have methods of encouraging them to take that chance because you don't get what you don't ask for, right? So your clients want to know what you think is going to happen next, and they deserve to know. And can you see how? If a buyer asks you to look into your crystal ball and tell them what the rest of the year looks like, if you gave an answer like I've heard so many realtors and even loan officers say, which is, oh, honey, if I had a crystal ball, I'd be in Vegas. Right? Well, that's that's punting, right? That's a cop-out. That consumer now looks at you like, Oh, well, he or she knows as little about the market as I do, I guess. I might need to find somebody else, right? So take all of this information and use it so that you can continue to convey that character and competence message that we were talking about earlier, right? So what about lending tools that can help you win, right? It's it's really important that as realtors, we have a fundamental knowledge of mortgage products and really to be candid mortgage guidelines, right? Because sometimes you're going to hear your clients say something that you know is a red flag for your lender and you want to kind of nip that in the bud and, and get them with your lender right away and say, oh, have you mentioned that to, to Joe, the loan officer? Well, no, I don't. I don't see why it's important. I, I think Joe needs to know that your company is considering layoffs or whatever it is, right? You're just going to understand that um, a client buying a new Mercedes in the middle of a transaction is a bad thing, right? My brother did that to me. I'm like, you idiot. What are you doing? He goes, what? I can afford it. I go, it doesn't matter. Now I have to start over because your your approval is no longer an approval. So anyway, right? So you wanna be knowledgeable about this information so that you can be a resource to them, right? And then when you have that trust, you can start teaching them about ways to get their payment lower, right? Discount points buys the rate down. Can you see a scenario where you get the seller to pay to buy the rate down? I had a deal closed last month where we had $23,000 of the seller's money to buy the rate down into the fours. So that's a technique, right? You can do a two, one buy down. 
I have a listing right now where in the listing remarks, we have stated lend or seller will fund a two one buy down for the buyer. So if rates are at six and a quarter, that means they can get four and a quarter for the first year, five and a quarter for the second year. So understand how buy downs work, understand what they cost, and then negotiate them into the deal if you can get the seller to pay for it, right? Also, if you agree with this theory that we've never had a recession where rates didn't go down, which means this won't be any different and they're going to go down later this year or early next, well, then it becomes a discussion about, well, okay, I agree with that, but what's the timing, right? We could debate whether it happens late 23 or early 24. And really, none of us know the answer to that for certain, because that's going to be dependent on how quickly they get inflation in check, right? Because that's the sequence of events. The Fed is going to continue to raise rates until inflation calms down, at which point they're going to flip and start lowering rates again. And the market is going to respond favorably to that. But we just don't know, is that going to start in March or is it going to start in August? Right. So we need we need inflation to get in check. Well, if you agree that that it's going to happen, we just don't know when, then maybe a five one arm would make perfect sense. Right. Think of it like this. If I'm an optimist, I think that that reduction in rates and the opportunity to refi is going to come sooner. So a two one buy down is all I need. Right. That makes sense, right? Because I'm I'm at four and a quarter for 12 months and I figure I'm going to refi at some point in those 12 months. But if I'm a skeptic, I might think, yeah, but things never happen as quickly as you hope, right? And therefore, I want to have more buffer, more time. Okay, well, the 2-1 buy-down gives you two years, but a 5-1 arm gives you five years. So maybe your client is best suited to take a 5-1 arm. And remember... Having the knowledge about these products being available is the key component because it may depend on the day where rates are at. You know, you might have a day in rates where the yield curve is inverted and the 5-1 arm is lower than the 2-1 the buy down, bought down. So just understand the programs because then as, as a realtor, we're saying to our client, hey, did you ask? Joe, the loan officer, about X and Y, right? The key is they want to be able to answer this question, right? Which product and approach suits me in the coming market? Do I feel like I need more than a year? Is a year enough time? And so on. Sellers, right? They can also fund other things like, like some of the items we just described. But what about a carryback? Could a seller carry back the down payment? Maybe. Depends on what the first mortgage lender says, right? Could the seller carry back the entire purchase price? Absolutely. It depends on them and their circumstance, right? They can provide seller financing. You could do a real estate contract. You could do a lease with an option to buy. There's, there's lots of different creative financing techniques that have been out there for years they just went away when the seller was getting 20 offers and they were going to take the most straightforward way to get their money sooner, right? 
So they took the cash or the, the highest bidder or whatever. There's also assumptions or alienation clauses, if you uh, are familiar with that term, right? So a lot of mortgages are assumable. Are all mortgages? No. In fact, most conventional loans are not. But FHA is the number one volume lender in the marketplace. So those are assumable. VA can be assumable, has some, some potential issues with the certificate of eligibility for the veteran. Like a veteran who wants to sell his house on an assumption should try and find another veteran. Otherwise, my certificate of eligibility stays with the house, right? So the key is when you're taking listings, talk to your clients. What kind of mortgage do you have? Maybe we can promote the fact that it's assumable. And it, a lot of them may not know. So encourage them to check with their lender. Or give you a copy of their note and deed of trust. You can read it and see if it has uh, an alienation clause, right? That's a due on sale clause. So contracts. Now, we have a saying in our office that you should never ask a client to sign anything that you haven't read yourself, right? And why do you think that is? It's because a lot of people sign stuff and they don't read it, right? And if you're a trusted advisor, they're even less likely to read it because they know you would never ask them to sign something that was counter to their goals. Well, I want them to think that, but that sure as heck means I had better read everything, right? Now, in, in general, we all get pretty familiar with all the MLS forms, right? Because they, they provide them, they don't change, or when they do change, we get notified. So we get a, a pretty good understanding of those forms. In fact, any of you are welcome to go to my YouTube channel. I have a whole playlist dedicated to dissecting the forms. Understand these are Washington forms, though, so if you're in a different state, it probably doesn't apply. But uh, the problem arises when you sell new construction or REO or short sales or some sort of more unique seller type because they will have their own addenda. And you had better read those. I've got an offer we're countering right now, and it's the seller is an LLC but they have their own addendum. I guarantee you my client did not read that addendum, but I did. And it's there's nothing in there that's impactful or changes any of the MLS forms. It supersedes all the forms, right? That's one of the things these addenda say is anywhere this agreement contradicts the purchase and sale agreement, this agreement shall prevail. Well, that trumps everything in the agreement, right? in the purchase and sale agreement. So read those things, right? But there are 12 different things that you can do to your offers that will increase the seller's belief that the offer is stronger, but not increase the buyer's risk. So we're gonna go through these 12 and I want you to ask questions anywhere along the way, all right? So number one, wield the expiration date like a weapon. So many realtors leave it blank and it ends up defaulting in our market to two days. But we don't leave anything blank. 
Like you should fill in every field that communicates to the other party and to the seller that you're a professional. If you send over a, a, an offer that has a bl bunch of blanks in it, yeah, there's default language that will trigger, but it just looks terrible. And the expiration date, I'll give you a quick example. I had a listing, this goes back a few years. We were in a seller's market, but it wasn't the white hot market. It was before that. But I had a listing come on the market at 750 with an offer review date. And then Tuesday rolls around, we only get one offer. And it was for 680, but had an escalator to 750, which is by the way, something I never recommend. Don't, don't offend the seller when you're gonna escalate up to at or above the list price, that's dumb. But the key mistake this agent made besides that is they made the offer expire on Friday. So they gave me four days to scramble around and look for competing offers. And guess what? I found two of them. So by Thursday, I had now three offers. That allowed me to go back for highest and best. All offers revised on Friday. And the guy who offered 680, which if he had made it expire on Tuesday, we would have accepted because it was the only offer. But because he didn't, he ended up winning on Friday for 780. So that mistake cost his client $100,000. He still won, but now he paid 100 grand more. What he should have done, make the offer expire on the review date. Like that's one of the questions you should be asking every listing broker before you submit is how much time do you need? And if they ask for an exorbitant amount of time, I go, gosh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get you that, but I'll try. And then I don't, I get them less time, right? Recognize when you're asking for appliances in your offer, if those appliances are not included in the listing, then you, that's a weakness in your offer. So you should compare the listing to what you're asking for. When sellers leave the washer and dryer out of the listing, that's not by accident. It's because they just bought them and they want them, right? Your earnest money amount matters, right? What people say in our market is what's customary is one to 3%. What I say to people is two to 3% because I think 1% is a mistake, it's too low. It might be different in your market but always be encouraging your clients to be aggressive on the earnest money and make sure they have protections in it. And what's even more impactful is when I say to my clients, and you know what? I've never lost anyone's earnest money. I'm not gonna lose yours. That gives them tremendous peace of mind, right? And I've been in the business way too long, <laughs> since the eighties. So uh, remember that, right? Title and escrow. The listing usually asks for one. I know way too many realtors who are insistent on using their favorite company, and that's a mistake. If it's a multiple offer situation, that could be a reason to lose the house. Do you really want to lose the house over that? And the irony is, it's not usually the buyer who's insisting that we use XYZ title. It's it's the agent, right? So don't don't be silly and lose a house over something like that. Consider being generous with the possession date. That can be another opportunity for you to, to stand out when being compared to someone else. 
And by the way, these are all things that I will do even if I don't anticipate a second offer that I'm competing with. Because I want to make my offer as attractive as I can so they're less likely to counter, right? Because a counter opens the door for other offers, right? You want to get this thing in escrow as soon as you can. Assessments levied before but due after closing. That's a clause that's in our state form. It may or may not be in other state forms, but that's a place where a buyer can say, yeah, I'll, I'll assume those if you can verify there aren't any, right? So you can make your offer look stronger by saying, I'll accept responsibility. And in our market, if it's a home that's not in a development and is over 15 years old, it's unlikely to have any sort of assessment anyway. So consider that. What about putting a little language in that says you're going to give back a thousand bucks out of the commission to the seller? Could that be a difference maker? Sure. And shoot, our median price here in Seattle is close to 900,000. Are you okay making 26 grand instead of 27? I, I would be, right? You know, a, an even better example is on HUD properties. If you submit through HUDHomestore.com, I teach classes on these, reduce your commission by a hundred bucks because HUD literally will choose based on the net. And that's the only thing that they look at. So if you reduce your commission by a hundred bucks, you could be the winner because of it, right? Now, Patrina, you have your camera on. So I'm, look, I'm gonna ask you this question because you're in Virginia. Do you guys have any language in your agreement that has like an info information verification period? If we do contingencies, we can do a contingency. I mean, addendum to that and add it in ourselves. Okay. So our in Washington, our purchase and sale in the form, the purchase and sale form, not the addenda, it, within the body of the main form, there's this clause that says, buyers shall have 10 days after mutual exception to verify all information from seller or listing firm related. Contingency shall be deemed satisfied unless buyer gives notice identifying materially inaccurate information within 10 days of mutual acceptance. And then it goes on to say that if, if they do, it, it kills the deal and the buyer gets to keep the earnest money. Well, in our market, this this is paragraph W on on the purchase and sale agreement, which means it's one of the last clauses, but it is a blanket out for people. And so we preemptively strike this because we want to communicate to the seller that, hey, man, we're serious. We want this house. And we're not looking for any cheap outs, right? So that could be something that you could strike if you had that sort of language in your purchase and sale agreement. There's also, uh, in some states, ours is one of them, there are ways to have your financing contingencies survive closing. But you can also structure it so that it doesn't and it expires at a certain time. You just want to make sure that that time frame is long enough that you can get your appraisal back right? Because you want to have that protection. But once the appraisal is back, the buyer, theoretically, they're all good to go. Now the house is good to go. You could waive your financing with little or no risk, right? So consider structuring that, you know, like 
I'll ask my lender, hey, how long are appraisals taking right now? And he'll say, oh, about a week. We could do a rush and get it in three or four days. And I'll go, okay, then I'll write this clause to expire in 20 or 21 days. And that gives me plenty of time to finish up the inspection and then get the appraisal ordered and get the appraisal back. You can also add low appraisal protection. So talk with your buyer and, and even include your lender, right? Because depending on how much your client is putting down, you might be able to put low appraisal language in the agreement that doesn't change your buyer's down payment or loan amount, right? If their loan to value is, is low, then they have room to come up and still bring the same amount of money to the closing table. So that could be something with little or no impact on your client. Also consider there are, there are actually six options when looking at low appraisal, right? Or not low appraisal, but uh, when inspecting. Six of them. And most people don't know this, right? So you can have an inspection. You can, uh, you can waive inspection. Those are the two ends of the continuum. But there's degrees in between, right? You can have this inspection is for informational purposes only. You can have, uh, we're only looking for major defects. And if those defects aren't uh, found in excess of $2,000 to repair, whatever number, like you can change that number to 5,000, depends on what you think you got to worry about. Then the inspection shall be waived, right? So, so consider using that sort of language to make your offer more attractive. And I can send that language to uh, Autumn and, and team so they can share it with you guys. But that's, that's a really powerful thing that I've used many times to succeed, right? Waive the right to revoke the offer. So in our state, we have a seller disclosure as do every state, but it comes with a three-day right to revoke the offer. Well, you could waive that. Especially if you've got an inspection contingency that's longer than three days, you don't need this, you know, second excuse to get out of the agreement. So consider waiving that. Right. So would you be prepared to do more if we're right about where inventory is going and where rates are going? Right. Could we get back to a market where we're waiving contingencies, including escalator clauses? We even have a two-step offer process, right, for offer review dates. If you have an offer review date next week, I'm going to submit a, a hard, aggressive offer early in the hopes of knocking you off your plan. And then if it doesn't work, then I add an escalator and participate in the beauty pageant next week, right? So be prepared for that. Have those skills in your tool bag because you may see a market later this coming year, which starts Sunday, uh, where this returns, right? Commission reductions, free rent backs, even non-refundable earnest monies. All of these things could come into play and you just want to know what they are and be skilled in using them in case you know you're competing with a second offer, right? Be ready. So we ran a couple minutes long, but I do want to open it up to questions in case there are any. 
thank you guys for being patient with me. Trina, did you get something out of this? Good, I'm glad. Well, if there aren't any questions, I wanna wish everybody a very happy and safe new year. Hope you get to spend it with family and friends. And uh, we'll see you on Agent Power Huddle next year. Take care, everyone. If you'd like more information or to get connected to the Agent Power Huddle, join our free Facebook group. This call was designed for the agents in our EXP organization, but open to any agent from any brokerage. If you're a guest and you're interested in learning more about EXP or our specific resources within the Agent Collective, reach out to the person who invited you to this call to get more info. Produced by the Agent Collective Media Network.